I would argue that still, regardless of culture, regardless of of current events, regardless of political persuasion, regardless of any of the factors that get pushed into our space, um, pastoral leaders arguably still have the most influence, period, in their community. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to make sure that you know about a podcast that our team at CCLN has launched called the Daryl Johnson Podcast. By now, I know you've probably heard me say this lots, but in my opinion, Daryl Johnson is the best expository preacher alive today, and he's been preaching the good news of Jesus for over 50 years, and the Daryl Johnson Podcast releases week by week sermons that he's preached dating all the way back to 1990. Currently, each week's content is moving through through his work on the Beatitudes. And that's always been a really challenging text for me to teach. I know it's important. It's from Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I've benefited a ton from Daryl's work on that text. And so I highly recommend you add this to the list of podcasts that you're currently subscribed to. I know you won't regret it. Okay, let me tell you about today's interview. Today on the show, we've got Brad Lominick. Brad is a sought-after speaker, he's the author of The Catalyst Leader and H3 Leadership, and he's the former president of Catalyst and Catalyst Conference. Brad is deeply connected to many of the most influential and culture-shaping churches around the world. He's a friend and resource to pastors and someone who I turn to for insight and advice on ministry in today's culture. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brad Lominick. Well, Brad, thank you so much for hanging out today. Appreciate you a ton, buddy. Jason, it's good to see your face, man. Brad, for those that don't know you, just give us a little snapshot into your world, who you are, some of the projects that are filling your imagination these days. Yeah, well, for a, a bunch of my career life, you know, Catalyst was probably the thing that I was most connected to and most known for, especially in the Christian leadership world. And uh, working for John Maxwell, which turned into the Catalyst opportunity, you know, hmm. I was a I was a history major in college, worked on a guest ranch in Colorado for five years playing cowboy. And then, of course, I went to work for John Maxwell doing leadership events. You know, those two connect, obviously. It's that classic um, transition from ranch to the Maxwell Leadership College. Yeah, we all look back. I mean, every leader listening or watching, you know, you look back and think, how do those two worlds connect? Hmm. And I think that's, you know, God's sovereignty and his design sometimes Hindsight is obviously way more clear than than looking forward, but um, I got connected to John, and then this was like ninety nine two thousand, and hmm. there was a bunch of us. There was a bunch of us there. Gabe Lyons, you know, who many of people would know from Q Conference. I mean, Gabe ultimately, Gabe was the person who really started Catalyst and wow. led it for the first few years, and I was just I was kind of on the team and doing other things within the Maxwell organization. And after a few years, it, it just made sense for me to step into to the seat and steward it as the captain um, for, and I did that for a decade plus. Wow. And then the last five or six years, I've been really more, I would say, under the radar or off the radar or uh, being a way more strategic with working with a number of organizations to help them think about how they do conferences or events. Um, so I guess you could call me an advisor. And it's given me opportunities to be um, probably more even intentional about connecting leaders mm. in different organizations and tribes within the church space. So, you know, if you cut me open, Jason, you know this, like I believe Jesus and I believe leadership probably mm. 
um, in that order. And I'm just, I'm committed, you know, to the next however many years I got left. I, I want to, I want to be about helping equip leaders, but also I want to be about raising up hmm. really the next generation of leaders. So I'm still doing that in this season. I'm just not doing it, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, auditoriums or the, you know, the, the conference spaces in arenas with thousands and thousands. So it's almost like I went from gathering the thousands to now gathering the tens who actually gather the thousands. Yeah. And that's a, that's a different chapter of the book, you know, both equally important. Yeah. Well, what I've loved um, getting to know you, but then watching your life is just the way in which you consistently like leverage your platform to connect and promote others. Like it's, it's really inspiring to watch and you've done that. I know you do that in, in the business world, but you've, what I'm most familiar with, I know you've dedicated a lot of your time to the church world. I just wanted to start by asking like, cause it's interesting to me, you're not a pastor, but you love and serve pastors. And um, it, I mean, and most pastors, I know they're leading big organizations, look to you as a friend, uh, as a connector, as a support. And just curious where that conviction and passion for the local church came from. And if that was a decided moment for you to go, this is where I'm going to put my best time into. Yeah. I would consider myself a pastor, even though I'm not, and never have been on staff at a church. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things we, we as as leaders in the Christian world, um, you know, we, we don't want to ever limit. If you're a pastor, which many, obviously many of us watching or listening are pastors, um, actually see people in your church who are lay leaders, who are like me, again, mm. love the local church, have lots of different things going on, might be a CEO, might be a, an educator, might be a, an entrepreneur. Um, don't don't limit them to mm. not being a pastor, because I feel like I'm a pastor. I don't get paid to do that, but I'm very pastoral, you know. And yeah. so, the the idea that um, there's there's lots of people who would love to be part of the pastoral team that don't necessarily you know get a paycheck from that local church is, I think, one of the things that, especially younger leaders, they see that and they also are leaning into it because they have to. Mm. Um, more than ever, like we we don't have the budgets to necessarily, you know, bring in staff people. Um, but for for you know, from my conviction of that, probably started at an early age, in mm. terms of growing up. I grew up in the in the church, and found Jesus at an early age, and so I always struggled with that idea of you know should I should I go to should I be, be you know do I want to do pastor or do I want to do politics? That was kind of the the two choices for me. That felt like the most, the most connected to being a leader, um, coming out of high school years and college, and I think I had some people in my life who just helped me understand that, you know, like whatever, um, whatever feels like the right season and the mm -hmm. right lane for me to run in, um, I'm not going to be a second class Christian if I don't choose the Christian vocation. Yeah. That we all, you know, unfortunately, many times we sort of get. That idea that, um, you know, a business person or a or an entrepreneur or a free agent or whatever that is ends up being second class. And hmm. so probably in many ways, that's why I feel like I'm so connected to the church is because it's such a huge expression for me of of what I grew up in. And um, and we can talk about, you know, the why why is that still 
why do I have such a connection to that world? But um, so much of it is because I think, I would argue that still, regardless of culture, regardless of of current events, regardless of political persuasion, regardless of any of the factors that get pushed into our space, um, pastoral leaders arguably still have the most influence, period, in their community. Hmm. So if I'm looking at the next generation and thinking, how do I find those leaders who are going to make the most impact wow. on the most people at a local level? I would still argue that the the local church is the outlet for the most impact potential. Um, I would not argue, though, that many people would, that you know, the entertainment industry or um, politics or even, you know, civic leaders in a local community. Because so much of what we see now is that they, they, have, they have a certain kind of influence. But to move the needle in a local area, I mean, I just want to encourage every pastor listening, like you have arguably as much or more potential to do that than any other person in your city wow. or your community. And so that's why I'm bullish on mm. on pastors is because I still think the church is the hope of the world that you know Jesus is still on the throne like that there's there's so much opportunity there for me to be a lifter up and encourager and equipper to those people who can make the most difference in their local area. Oh man, I appreciate that so much. I think I'm going to speak for the Canadian context that that influence that you're talking about, I really agree. Even as you're saying that, you know, my mind began just to go and say, yeah, like when it comes to shaping culture, because culture is the driving force, churches have so much potential. But I know in the Canadian context, we don't have the same sort of uh, financial or political sway um, as you would see potentially in the States where the larger demographic is Christian, you know, and so they turn to pastors for all these things. But I, I think nonetheless, I think that influence that you described is there, but I think it's very rare that as local church pastors, we would think with that lens on, mm. not in like an arrogant way, but we'd say, oh my goodness, like what I get up to do every Sunday or every day that I'm prepping and meeting with people and shaping culture is actually changing the city. And so it just, it just stands out to me a ton just that you had mentioned that and didn't want to rush past that. And this this is why we have to change our mindset as as a Christian leader of how we how we then operate. If if that's our opportunity in a local in a local context, then we need to change the way we operate. So how do I get invited to the seat at that table where the people who make decisions and have influence hang out? Hmm. And it might be that we need to be a little bit more intentional about about cultural um, curiosity, you know, about reaching into areas where we wouldn't necessarily reach into and having friendships, you know, and, and mm. being a student of our city and being, being willing to, um, educate ourselves and to show up with sort of this idea that, wow, like, I don't care who, I, I don't care that if that person's a pastor or not, we just need them in the room mm. because they have such an ability to help us think differently about. And so this is like, uh, you know, this is the idea that you're praying for, for uh, I would say, like supernatural wisdom and revelation and insight on how you can show up to that table. Because hmm. it's it's our opportunity. You know, like we we equally have to be foundational in our convictions, and and there's always going to be tensions depending on where you where you serve and where you lead. But again, like if I can have the mindset that says. <laughs> 
I have a seat at that table, and now I've got to be a good steward of that. And people at that table want to see me coming. They, they're excited when Pastor Joe shows up, right? Because it's like Pastor Joe's going to add value. They're going to they're gonna help us think about these issues in an appropriate way. So that, that's, that's just a, it's a mindset shift for a lot yeah. of people. Uh, because we, we tend to, you know, in the Christian world, we tend to many times think, well, everybody's against us. Mm-hmm. And that that probably is true in a lot of places, but um, we can't let that be an excuse to then just say, well, I'm shut out, so therefore I'm going to go create my own little holy huddle over here on the side. I appreciate that so much. Brad, one of the things that you do, you do in this in different ways, is you'll gather sometimes groups of 20, 30, 10, whichever, pastors, leading significant churches, sometimes new churches, and you'll pull them in the room. And one of the things that I know you like to do, whether it's like a retreat or just an afternoon, is try to like take down the walls, not put, not fill it with just content delivery, but real honest discussion. When you are in those environments, the walls are down. What are the things that pastors, young pastors are wrestling with the most, like in that setting? Well, you should answer this one. You've been in a lot of those. I mean, this is this is like your wheelhouse. You're you are you are uh, you're like example A of a, a young pastor. So I'll you know I'll, I'll say a few things, and then you you need to chime in on this one. Well, pe- people don't listen to the podcast to hear me, Brad. They listen. No, that's they not come, true. They come for the guests. That's um, not true. I, but something was, happens when the authenticity comes. You know, there's this like, and you realize the person leading the church of fifty or five thousand has the same insecurity, you know, and the same challenges. And it's a fascinating thing to watch. And I think for a lot of people listening, they don't have a window into that. So that's why I wanted to kind of get the window through you. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all insecure. Like that, that's, that's one of the big takeaways from those kind of environments. Like you said, it doesn't matter what we're leading. Um, Most of us, if we're honest, we, we look around and think, I hope nobody finds out that I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And that's been true for me. I mean that's been true for for me forever. Like I, I stepped into leading. I've st- every every season I've stepped into, I I didn't have a clue of what I was doing. Um, and so I think there's just a there there's a there's a hope and a and a almost a a reassurance when we get in those rooms and realize that everybody else is is feeling the same way. Um, you know, another one traditionally this has been true is that. A lot of the leaders who show up in those environments, um, they're they're hard chargers. Like you know, they build stuff, and so um, depending on your Enneagram preference or your Myers Briggs or your you know whatever personality test you like to take, um, a lot of them they they they're trying to navigate the tension of I want to build things, but I also want to stay healthy. Hmm. I want to I want to finish the race well. I don't want my team to hate me, even though we we are building something. And just that tension of the ambition and the drive compared to the rest and the margin, you know, that that tends to be a pretty constant part of the conversation. Um, another one is that, and and this is true for the things I'm trying to do, is the the sometimes the theological differences of the denomination you're from or the the historical preference you've had, your your style. Um, you look at people within that are on the same team and you think, I would never want to hang out with them. And then you get there and you realize, I actually like them. 
Yeah. We might have a few differences, but we I actually like hanging out with them and they they're challenging me on things that I wouldn't have let them challenge me on unless they showed up in the, you know, a safe environment. Um and so that 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 comes up quite a bit and mm. at least the things I'm gathering is because I'm trying to bring together I'm trying to put a list together that if somebody saw it they would be like, "Really? Like you got them to show up in a room together?" Yes. Because again, like most of us we we agree on the essentials. Um, and on the non-essentials, we may disagree, but that doesn't mean we can't work together. Yeah. Yeah. I love those environments. When you see people, and this is obviously a huge value for you, that wouldn't typically connect. And like we've seen this with like Father James Mallon, Catholic priest who's, you know, it's like in the Catholic world, there's no way to not have heard of him. But then outside the Catholic world, it's super possible. You put him in the same room as like Mike Todd or whoever it is. And it's it's really powerful to see what happens. For you, this idea of leaders connecting with other Christian leaders that are in very different contexts for you, this is more than just fun for you. There's For you, I know there's like a conviction that this brings something to the leader's lives. Like, wh- what is the benefit? Why would it be worth someone's time in their own city to walk across the street and connect with the pastor of a different tribe, a different denom? What's the value there for you? Well, it's both a value personally for those two leaders um, because we can learn from each other, but it's also a value for the kingdom hmm. and and in the spirit realm, like the the big K and the big C, the big kingdom and the big C church. There's something there that we don't understand, but that when it's not present, we lose influence and we hmm. we we lose the ability to really make a difference. So unity, you know, what you're describing, just this idea that we can we can work together. Um I think it's it's so important. I mean, scripturally we see it in John 17. I mean, there there's lots of references to um the world will know us by, right? The the world will know us by our love for each other, our mm. preference of each other, our our willingness to work out our problems, compared to the world will know us by our division. And, you know, we've got to change that narrative. Like it it's it's not going to happen at the denominational level. There, there's no there's there's no precedent for the denominational level, and I love denominations. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm anti-denomination um, or big like the the whoever the hierarchy is, but the, the 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 idea that today we have like you and I, Jason, like we have the ability to shape that conversation and flow it up to whoever the powers are, whoever the people that sit in the ivory tower and, you know, like have a robe on or whatever it looks like hierarchy to to you in your context, we have the power to actually change the way they think. Hmm. So that's why it's even more important today is um, we have to demonstrate that, again, person to person, like leader to leader. So it, there's there's so many reasons why it's important. And here's here's one final thing I'll say on this is it's your responsibility. Hmm. Meaning like I'm pointing at all of us who are listening and watching. Don't let somebody, don't wait on somebody else to be the, to be the gatherer or the connector or the unifier. Like be willing to walk across Hmm. the bridge and not just walk to the middle of the bridge. That's easy. We can all walk to the middle. I'm talking about walking to the other side of the bridge and standing on the other side with someone that that's different and that's hmm. that's a true that's a true unifier is being willing to to move into those hard places and a lot of us have seen this recently with the racial 
issues and conversations globally, but especially in the U.S. Like a lot of my friends, my black friends have said to me, like, Brad, you got to walk across. You got to step across in our world yeah, and see it from our perspective. We can't just meet you in the middle. And it was such a like wake up call for me to hmm. to realize, gosh, that's so true. Like, I can't be willing to just to just, you know, do the easy thing. I've got to be willing to do the hard thing. Man, I appreciate that so much, Brad. I would love just to chat a bit more about the Catalyst story. And um, I mean, for those that don't know, Cat, I can't, can't imagine many don't know what Catalyst is. But for those listening that don't know Catalyst, um, it's a series of conferences, online content and resources. Started numbers number of years ago, but it just kind of exploded. And there's a lot of speakers, writers, musicians, communicators that weren't on the radar but Catalyst put them on the stage. And now see, these are some of the best-selling authors, best writers, most influential voices. And for it's still very influential, but definitely for a season, it was like those, those late millennials or like, you know, or sorry, early millennials, late Xers. This was kind of, this was the gathering point. This resonated with them. And I'm just curious. I feel like when you guys began to ideate and shape Catalyst as it became, there was an awareness that there was a shift in terms of how pastors and Christian leaders wanted to consume content, wanted to connect. And I just want to go into that moment as you guys began to think, because there's really intentional things you guys did and discovered along the way that reflected a change in what people were looking for and how people wanted to consume content. And so I just want to just go back to some of those those early days and just tell, talk about what that was like and what you began to discover as you began gathering leaders in that format. Yeah. Well, we could talk about this for a whole episode or two. Uh, so you'll have to stop me because there's a lot of lessons I think that we learned in the process. First of all, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, mm. truly, like we were all in our late twenties and the the thing we started with was um, what would we want to invite our friends to? Mm. That That was really like, a big part of the original vision was we were all working for John Maxwell and we loved John, you know, but the, 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 the events and conferences we were putting on were really, were really peers of John showing up to something. And we just said, Hey, what if we did something like for our friends? And, and the other thing we said was let's create something that we would actually want to attend or be part of. Hmm. So we were our greatest customer. And that's not always true for every every church or nonprofit or business. But man, if you can make that true, it's it's a game changer. If you're the greatest customer of your product and you wouldn't if you if you won't smoke it, you won't buy it or you know, that that's a that's a really um helpful thing to have as part of your initial brand launch. Um the other thing we said was that we don't want we want it to be we want it to be neutral. We want Callus to be a a really big tent for lots of people to show up in and around. And so we had everybody from the Baptist to the crazy charismatics to the neo-reformed who all looked at us and said, oh, they're safe. Hmm. We can all show up there and we'll look like we're we're innovative and we're progressive, but it's it's just safe enough that we can get the whoever the people that, you know, decide we're, that we can go, they'll be okay with it. So we were just on the line, Jason, like we were just short of being so rebellious that we started to, you know, to hack people off or to, to say, uh, that's, they're a little crazy over there. Um, 
And that was very intentional. It was, again, it was intentional with what we did. It was intentional with who we invited in to speak. Um, it was intentional with the experiences we created. Um, we also said we want it to be fun. And hmm. this was a big shift. Like there was a book called The Experience Economy that came out right around the time, like 2000, 2001, that we we were pretty like dialed in on. And it, it was this idea that, you know, the future of things and especially gatherings, you're going to have to hit not just on the content side, but you're going to have to hit on the idea that there's an experience connected to it. Hmm. That I'm actually going to walk away from this, whatever it is, and the memory moments will perhaps be, oh, I remember that talk from Andy Stanley, but also, oh, I remember when we broke that world record together hmm. with 10,000 other leaders. And that was kind of a new thing that we leaned into pretty heavily. Um, you know, so we had, we just had crazy stuff and a lot of it we tried and it was complete failure. Um, but there was a sense for us of we're going to innovate, you know, we're going to try things that nobody else is going to do. Um, the other thing we, that I think this is an important lesson for us and for anyone is we didn't let our standard be other Christian conferences. Hmm. We wanted our standard to be something that felt like it was unattainable. So even from the idea of, you know, who's the best in the world at putting on an event? I mean, we said, let's, let's, let's watch what they're doing. And at first it was very hard because, you know, we would watch things and go, there's no way. They have a budget that's 10 times our budget. Right. But we would sit in a room and, you know, punch each other in the face figuratively until we figured out how could we do that with 20 times less the budget, but still make it a wow experience. Hmm. And I think the for us, the it was that if, if people showed up to our creative meetings, when we were thinking about, you know, a session or we were thinking about this thing, um, we would just keep going. We, we wouldn't give up on it, you know, and, and over time people would get frustrated. Right. And think there's no way, like we cannot figure that out. There's no way we can get, you know, 10,000 people to all fly in the air and, uh, you know, hover above a stage whatever the idea is, you know, but we just kept going and like, no, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. And finally, this is true of creatives. Like at some point there was a breakthrough, mm -hmm. but most of most leaders I know who put on events, they, they stop just before the breakthrough. Right. And whether it's a money issue or it's time or it's staff or whatever. So we just kept pushing and we frustrated people. But, you know, I think, I think that created a brand that said, man, if they're so dialed into the details of of the experience they're creating, it's going to be worth our time and and money and investment of resources to go and be part of of what they're putting on. So I'll stop there and let you follow up or ask questions, or if you want to lean oh, into it more, there's we can. so many themes I'd love to lean into. Let me grab the last one though. Let me grab the theme of creativity. Um, I think the church has always needed to be creative. In history, we've got great reputation through arts and, but like definitely in the last hundred years, the church hasn't, has lost that innovative edge maybe, or, but right now we have no choice. Like COVID hits and all of a sudden we all have to become more creative than we want to be more uh, solution, like problem, creative solutions to complex problems, limited resources, new technology. Um, I think the myth is that idea, what, it, what does it feel like 
to be creative? What does it feel like to come up with a compelling idea? I think it's like, it, it should feel like uh, I was on a walk and I looked out on the water and then I saw it. We're going to do an all acoustic mm. set on Sunday. You know, right. I don't know, like yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. but what it, what you described was like, it, it, it feels like real work in the yep. room and it feels like going past that point where you kind of want to quit. And I think what often happens, and I get it, it's because we're isolated. We're not always working in big teams, but just the thought of coming up with a new idea is so intimidating. It's so exhausting. And maybe a new idea is not it, but to solve the problem in front of us. And any advice for people right now who are just exhausted by problem solving, like to hack their way to see through, like as we look at the fall, at least where we are in British Columbia, we're not going to have churches we knew it before in the fall. And so we have to get creative again and again and again. Any ideas for how to lead our teams or individually to get to the place where we can find that stamina to keep trying to problem solve? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I would say this, you know, most of us are not creative at our core. Like you just described, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're walking along the, the lake and God just downloads all this creative inspiration to us. And the next song is written. There are people like that. Yeah. I'm not like that. Not me. And none of, I mean, for the most part, our team wasn't, um, I think we just worked hard at it. Hmm. So execution, execution is, I would say the reason that most the most creative companies or organizations or brands actually get described as creative is because they have an execution culture that says we're going to if we decide we're going to do it we're going to commit to actually doing it hmm. and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure you know as Seth Godin says we ship it you know it, mm-hmm. it, it gets created it gets produced it gets pushed out into the world um, so it's not a, it's not about you know the, the person who looks like the artist being the artist. It's the person who who thinks like an artist and is willing to to execute um, like an operator. And mm. that connect that 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 has to be part of your DNA is you know you're equally as willing to take something to the finish line as you are to sit in a brainstorm meeting and allow creative ideas to to bubble up. Um, to to the current season, I would say this. Uh, like change is now is now um, it's not an option anymore. Hmm. It's a necessity, right? So you you are now assigned to be a constant change agent and a and a pivoter because of the world we're living in. And so just get used to it. Like if you're not willing to put that on your job description, then um, you're going to have a hard time navigating. And again, like that's not comfortable for most of us. Hmm. We we want to settle as humans. We want yeah. to settle into something that that doesn't require change, but it's now part of the job description. So just go ahead and embrace it. And I would say, like practically, um, the thing I would I would most recommend is tap into people who are already in your in your world. And I don't care if again you have a you have a staff of a hundred or or one, um, and you have a church of ten. Or ten thousand, there are people in your slipstream as a leader that can help you navigate and think about things. It's it's your job to to you know to tap into them. So um, allow your allow your creative team, just as an example, 
to think about how do we navigate the current season? How are we thinking about, you know, do we open up? How do, how do we do digital well? Um, all these questions that you're, you're wrestling with, I promise you there's somebody on your, in your world right now hmm. who is already thinking about that like 10 steps ahead of you. They just don't know that you need help. Hmm. And they're more than willing to. You know, there's somebody in your church who is, you know, there's some digital maven and they've been, you know, they've been on some conference call with the experts and they're like, well, you never asked me. Yeah. You just want me to be a consumer. So if you would tap into my expertise, I would love to share what I know. Mm. And again, it's just like being a unifier or being a, uh, you know, a bridge builder. We have to be the ones who are, who are, who are stepping in and reaching across and, and making that ask. And when you, when you ask people for their help, you honor them. Hmm. So the more people you bring in, and this, again, we learned this at Catalyst, like we, we would go after Jason, like the people who they would get a call from us and they would just be like, how did you get my number? (laughs) Who gave you my number? Because this number is not available. I'm like, well, uh, I can't really reveal that, but we would love to have your help. We're thinking about this big idea and we need somebody who is, who has, you know, worked on the Grammys before. And they're like, okay, so what kind of budget do you have? Um, well, I really don't have a lot of budget and especially Grammy related budget. We don't have that, but we got a big idea here and we want to change the world and we got a big vision and we want you to be part of it. And at some point they would sort of cry uncle and go, well, I usually don't say yes, but. I just like your style, so let's let's try to create something. You know, so we were re- we were reaching out to people we had no business hmm. sort of reaching out to, um, especially in the early days. You know, and I think that's just such a great practical thing for leaders is tap into some of those opportunities. We we've never had more opportunities to connect with people hmm. and bring them in. I mean, think of Al Gordon's story. You know, yeah, you and I know I just Al. was. He he got like the world's greatest minds to think about the the renovation of his church in Hackney, right? It's incredible. And how did he do it? He just like reached out. He didn't he didn't have some magic formula. He just started reaching out and making connections, and then they were sort of like, okay, <laughs> right? It's wild. It's wild. The biggest thing I've learned from guests on this show and people like Al is is how powerful an ask is. It's like, oh, how did you get that guy to design your church? Or how did you get the guy to speak at your conference for that matter? Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's an ask. And then like, obviously, if you have the ask and the resources, you might be closer to success. But I think what's, what's, what's consistently surprising me is within the church when I'm seeing uh, leaders go, it's like, we just ask somebody who worked at Disney, we asked someone who worked at Pixar or, or in our community, we asked someone who's, let's say they're doing a renovation, we asked the guy who's been building high rises in the neighborhood, not a Christian, but we said, could you help us with the zoning of our place? We don't have a budget, but it's just this amazing thing, this power of the ask. And it's just interesting that you bring that up because I feel like that might be a very practical a way forward for people who just feel stuck right now. I don't know how to get online or I don't know how to take this to the next level. I wonder if there yeah. are people in the church or don't even go to church, but might be willing to help. And just when I think about the evangelism opportunity of that, it just gets me really excited too. Well, and you're right. I mean, an ask, an ask honors. Hmm. Because what you're saying to somebody when you ask them is that you're an expert. And we see you as an expert. And a lot of times we think, oh, they're too busy. They will never get back to us. 
the, sometimes the, the, the most influential people are the, are the ones that get asked the least because hmm. everybody assumes, oh, they'll never get back to you. And, you know, again, you're, you, what's the worst that can happen? This, this is a Tim Ferriss, you know, uh, sort of hack. You know, he always thinks about these, these situations. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst is hap- that can happen is they say no. Okay, great. I can Let's move that. on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're going to jump back into this conversation in just a second. But before we do, I want to share some exciting news from our friends at Briarcrest College and Seminary. Briarcrest will be returning to campus this fall in person. In light of the pandemic, perhaps you or someone you know thought that your education plans would need to be put on hold, but that does not need to be the case. As you look into this next year, Briarcrest could be the school that you're looking for. Their courses are highly transferable to other Canadian universities. The community there is heavily focused on discipleship, and they've got a world-class faculty geared towards shaping deep, passionate Christ followers. And here's been my experience. Every time I visit Briarcrest, I see the value that they bring to the lives of real people who want to make an impact for the kingdom of God in their world. And so if you or someone you know is looking to explore a Christian post-secondary education, why not point them to Briarcrest to find out more? You can check out their return to campus ebook and webinar dates at briarcrestcollege.ca slash return. Okay, let's jump back into today's conversation. Well, I have you. I want to chat a bit about mentorship. I know that you described early on connect with John Maxwell. And I just want to talk about the theme of mentorship. I just wanted to start um, in your life. How like, would have been the role of mentors in terms of getting to you to where you are today? Well, John, yeah, John was, I wouldn't describe John as a mentor as much. I mean, he was kind of, a, he was a mentor boss. Um, the, I think the first mentor for me that probably had the you know, the greatest impact was pastoral mentors growing up mm-hmm. um, and coaches. And again, thinking again, think, I, I just want to reemphasize local context, like the power that you can have in the local context is so important, especially for middle school, high school, and, you know, young adult. Um, but a guy named Bob Foster, who nobody would know, but, you know, when I was post-college, in Colorado working on this ranch for five years as a cowboy. Um, this was a 75 year old man who had started this place. And I was, you know, in my early twenties and he, every Friday morning, for the most part, we would meet for breakfast and he was an old navigators guy. Hmm. So the scripture memory system and, yeah. you know, like we, we, we did the hand, the scripture memory system with the hand. And Love uh, it. there was just this sense that, that here's a 75-year-old who's who's finishing the race well, investing in me and my, you know, first quarter. Um, and the thing he would always say to me is that, you know, your your 20s establish your 70s. So it's like mm-hmm. this picture of what that looks like. You know, here I am in my 20s, and what I do today as a 22, 23-year-old is really the the foundation that's going to allow me to be the man of God that he is hmm. at 75. And that was such a great, a great lesson is, you know, the investment I'm making in my legacy starts, starts early. So um, that was a, that's probably the one that stands out for me the most in terms of, of the, of the um, sort of life on life, you know, every yeah. Friday morning, 
It's beautiful. For breakfast. In this season, though, it's much more like, I would say, mentors from afar. Hmm. And and that would probably be my um, my practical advice to leaders is, you know, wherever you are in your journey, um, we've, we've never had more opportunities to learn and actually be mentored by as many people as we do today. Because all of their content, for the most part, is is free and available. And, you know, the early days of Catalyst, as an example, like if you wanted to hear Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle or uh, Erwin McManus or John Maxwell, you had to sort of show up at an event. Mm. And, and you, you, you know, you had to hear them in person. But nowadays, like, I can get as much of a download and content from any of those voices as I want through podcasts, through sermons, through books, through, you know, all these different outlets. So don't, don't limit your mentoring and you being mentored to simply like people in your, in your circle hmm. that you have to like be in, in, in the same room with. Um, and now you do want to have that. And so yeah. one, one thing just on, if you're looking for a mentor, if you're younger and you're looking, you know, listen, Louis Giglio is not going to mentor you. <laughs> neither is Nikki Gumbel. Ne- neither is Francis Chan. Now, there may be one out of all these people watching and listening that go, well, I actually am being mentored by yeah. Francis Chan. Well, technically, Great. Brad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But sometimes we set our standard. Oh, man, if I could only get... If I could only get mentored by Louis Giglio, my life would be set. Um, no, let, let's think about like somebody in your local context who can do life on life with you mm. and read Louis's books and listen to his podcast. And that's great. But don't set your standards so high that, you know, you're going to be disappointed. Mm. Find that local business person, you know, that, that superintendent of schools, uh, that entrepreneur, you know, the, the, the pastor emeritus that was there before or that was in your community that's now in their sixties. And they're just, they're just waiting on somebody to ask them Hmm. to hang out and be able to download some of their lessons. I love that. I feel like I um, chat with a lot of friends my age um, and others who are saying, man, I, I, I long for a mentor. And I don't know exactly what they mean by that. They might mean an advocate. They might it might be practical. I need advice, but there's definitely a, some sense of need. And then I, I meet with a lot of um, more senior leaders, um, maybe retired or late in their career, being like, "Man, I'd love to mentor the next generation," but somehow those aren't connecting. Like I feel like there are there's there's definitely demand, and I think there's legitimate willingness. Like you know. Um, why do you think that those bridges aren't being made? And so maybe this is another way to frame the question is, what do those senior leaders or what do these young leaders need to do to be able to practically make that happen? Or what is happening now that's not causing those connections to be made? Well, the, the reason so many of those aren't being made is we don't have systems, organizational systems in place that mm-hmm. used to make that just a part of the normal operating, the standard operating procedure. So, I mean, again, think a hundred years ago, the apprentice, mm. that was the natural mentoring or your father right. or mother. Like when you look, when you worked on the farm, you were mentored by, you know, your father, mother, your grandfather, your grandmother, 
on how to how to run the tractor, right? Um, so a lot of those things that have been hier- hierarch- hier- hierarchical systems have now been removed. So, and we've also like lost some of that hierarchy of denominations or organizations that would provide that naturally. So that's part of it. But but we also have generations that you know one speaking speaking uh, you know Safari ten and the other one speaking Microsoft X, hmm. and those. T- those aren't compatible, right? They're they're both they're both saying things that deal with software, but they're like it's like you know speaking Greek and speaking French. So, um, part of our job, I think, is is again be intentional. So, if you're looking for a mentor, um, one go out and like start looking and create a list of who potentially that could be. Again, if Louis on your list, great. But it's probably not going to happen. So make the ask, make the ask, make the but don't ask. be afraid. Of, don't be afraid of the no. Yes, but find some of those who you know are again are are local. Um, they're they're going to create context in person, and reach out. Like reach out. This is the thing. Reach out. It, practically, you have to you have to make the ask. You have to reach out. Um, and the same on the other side. You know, if you're if you have if you have margin and you're a bit older and you're you know you've got some opportunity to invest in younger leaders, figure out where they hang out. That's probably the biggest thing I would say. Like there are there are places where young leaders hang out. I mean, I'm talking about networks, friendships, circles, um, Facebook groups. I you know like we have to be intentional to go and like find where they're hanging out. And then figure out ways to add value to them. Hmm. So it's it's intentionality on both sides. Yeah. And you know, for what you all are doing, you're a great example of an organization that actually can connect the dots. Hmm. So Canadian Church Leaders Network. This is a network in many ways designed to do exactly this. Like yeah. you are now bringing together two operating systems that you can speak both languages. Yeah. You're a, th- you're a translator. It's the dream, man. And the dream is also that there would be shared conversations. Not that every guest is going to say everything we all agree with, but if we could have some shared common content, there's a starting place. You know what I mean? And that's often the challenge in the translation is the millennials content source, a millennial or Gen Z, what we're reading, even about church leadership and who we're looking at and, and following is so different than the boomers, the Xers or whoever it is, elders. And so this idea of like, what would it look like for us to have some sort of shared conversation and then to give the other person the benefit of the doubt? Because something happens in the translation. Like, I feel like I've been in conversations before where I think what they hear me asking for is smoke and lights, but actually what I'm asking for is transparency and authenticity. But for some reason, it sounded like that. And then vice versa, like maybe what I hear them saying no to is like resisting change, but actually they're saying, no, we just want to actually help you do this in a safe way that's going to honor the people, but we miss each other. And there's this like translation work and this giving the benefit of the doubt that I think, I think we're desperate for. And I think we really do need each other. And it requires humility on both sides. Hmm. You know, again, the, 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 the person who, when I've had people who, just as an example, a young leader who says, Brad, can I have 15 minutes of your time? That's a, that's a good start. What you didn't ask for is, will you mentor me? Let's get together every week. It's going to require like tons of your time. No, they said, can I have 15 minutes of your time to ask one question? Yeah. Great. 
I, that's possible. Now, that 15 minutes, they used it appropriately. They asked me a question, and then they listened. Hmm. And then they took notes. And then they sent me those notes after that conversation with a thank you card. And they said, hey, thanks, or an email or a text and said, hey, thanks. That was really helpful. Here's the notes from our conversation. Because a lot of times mentors, they don't even remember what they said. <laughs> so if you send them notes of what they said, you actually are adding value now. Like they're like, cool. that's actually pretty good. Like I'm going to use that in a sermon series coming up or whatever. <laughs> but like you appropriately honored yeah. the opportunity compared to um, what many times happens is a young leader will will say, hey, I want 30 minutes. And then they spend all the time talking. And I'm going, that's great. But like, you didn't really ask me anything. Yeah. Um, so don't be that person, you know, be curious, be hungry, mm. be teachable, be, be willing to, um, to have that posture that says, man, I'm showing up with a moleskin and I just want to, I, I want to soak as much out of you as possible because that's honoring again, mm. like going back to honor, like the way you honor someone is you ask them really good questions that the credibility it's always built because of the, of the curiosity you bring to the table. Oh, so helpful, Brad. Um, you know, you've been around church stuff and I've seen a trajectory in myself that I've wrestled with others where it's like, you kind of go through a cycle. You come in, you talked about your 20s starting Catalyst and, uh, and then there's this natural process where you kind of see behind the scenes, you know, the leaders that you looked up to, they're not perfect like you hoped. And then there's politics show up in church and organizations, all that. And then cynicism begins to, to fester. Yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to chat cause I just see you as someone who's, who's still got this like love for the local church. And yet I feel like you've seen so much of it. Just first question is over the years, has cynicism about church ministry and church work been something you've wrestled with? Uh, I would say not as much just because I've, I've been absent of, for the most part, from a lot of the politics of the local church. Hmm. And I know that is such a massive weight that, that weighs on pastors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if people weren't involved, it would be awesome. It'd be so much easier. Right? I mean, it'd be so easy. So I, I, I can't, I guess my, my answer to your question is, is I haven't seen it as much. But I also hmm. haven't been in that driver's seat to be able to really experience it like many, many pastors have who they love people. Like they start out with this hunger and passion to not only like to, you know, bring Jesus to people in their community, but also like to to disciple people. And over time, they just get numb because of all the things that every pastor is thinking about right now. You know, yeah. so um, for me, like the reason I think cynicism has, for the most part, um, I've tried to avoid, or at least I think I've avoided it or not had to wrestle with it much, is because I also get to deal with the the leaders who I think are the most hopeful. Hmm. So I'm in many ways curating and connecting to the leaders who have hope. And, and so my answer would be this, Jason, like, I don't, I can't be cynical because then I'm the outcast mm -hmm. among my community and my tribe. 
So it's like the it's like the, all the people I'm around actually have have elevated me to never never be able to to dip into that place of cynicism. If mm. that makes sense. No, it and, does. I think I think what I'm hearing you say is like cynicism is contagious, but so is hope. You got it. And you got it. Um, yeah, because I mean, one of the things that's just been so impactful about conversations with you, Brad, and others on this podcast and other settings that aren't recorded is you get around people that are hopeful about the future of the church. Like, I get it, man. You you and I could chat for an hour about the latest Barner research. Things are looking bleak. It is tough. But there's so much reason to hope right now. Like, God's on the move. Stuff's growing in dark places. Maybe we could... I just love to know, Brad, what's giving you hope right now? Like what's exciting you as you squint and kind of look ahead with the church? Where are you what's what's giving you hope right now? Well, I would I would say for sure that the um the the removal of a lot of barriers that used to be in place, and now that the I would say a fresh wind of God's spirit and his church moving globally um through many through many movements. But Alpha is a great example. Hmm. You know, Alpha is now in many ways, like I would say at the tip of the spear. And for, for so many different leaders and theological persuasions, all sort of looking at that going, we're going to come underneath that banner and move forward. Because hmm. in some ways, like they feel desperate, but also um, there's a there's a real there's a true sense that I think we are we are moving into a new season of, of, uh, a great harvest. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, that for me gives me tons of hope and energy and optimism. Um, I also see a new, a new leader who's emerging that in general, like they are not the center of the story Hmm. and they're actually like anti being the center of the story. You almost have to pull them out of the, of, of, their tendency to to want to sort of avoid being the center of the story compared to i think a season for my peers and many of those who came before me that it was it was almost like as soon as there's any potential for me to to elevate i will mm. and that, and some of that's just the the season you're in and the generation and how but i just like this this idea that there's a there's a new kind of leader that's hidden and not because they're scared but because they they have a different perspective on what influence looks like, hmm. and so many of them, when you ask them, when you ask them, "Hey, um, what have you been doing?" and they will say, "I've been investing in my team and in my local community, and I could care less about anything else that's out there." And I, that's just refreshing, and it's yeah. it's more and more the story. Um, and then the third thing I would say is is that there is a there is an opportunity that all of us have to to be be more influential based on technology based on current trends based on reality than we ever had the potential to be by basically setting at home and not having to use all of the metrics or the standards or the organizations or the or the you know the steps to what what once looked like influence. And this is exciting. Now, if you're if you're scared of that because it's change, it can look like, oh, I can't believe that these young cats, 
you know, some 25 year old can, can have 10 million followers on Instagram and all of a sudden, well, like, okay, that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is, wow, can you believe that we have that kind of opportunity today to be able to make a difference so quickly with removing all those barriers that once used to be there. And Mm. man, so that's, that's why I'm looking back at the 18 year old and the 20 year old and the 22 year old and going like, who's going to help them Mm. actually manage this new, this new uh, standard and stewardship. Wow. Cause it's coming. Like they already got it. Now it doesn't mean they're going to finish the race. Well, it doesn't mean they have any clue what they're doing, but that's where we have to come alongside and and actually like quietly help them navigate the opportunities that have been put in front of them that were never in front of me. Um, and so I'm excited about that, man. I, I I think that's one of the great opportunities we have. And you know, I'm I want to be the old guy that all the young cats go, oh, Lominek, like he he's good. Like we want we want him in the room. Hmm. Cause I'm not going to soak up all the oxygen. And so many of us, we walk into those rooms as a, you know, established or older leader. And we just end up sucking the oxygen out of the room without even realizing it. So my job is to blow, blow wind into their sails, not to steal this, the wind that could potentially like elevate them to the next season. Well, I'm so grateful for you, Brad, and grateful for your time today. Thanks for hanging out. I loved it, man. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, big thanks to Brad for making time to chat with us today. We've got the highlights of this interview available on our blog as well as on our Instagram and YouTube channels. You can find everything you need to connect with Brad and his work on our website. Just head over to ccln.ca slash blog. Now, this episode, I don't know if you're going to believe this, guys, but this episode marks the 20th episode of this new season for the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of our whole team for making time to listen and to share these conversations each week. This has been such a meaningful journey for us. And as we reflect on these 20 episodes, we'd really love to hear from you. And if there's any encouragement or feedback or thoughts, you can reach us at contact at ccln.ca. Before you go, I want to thank Compassion Canada for helping present the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'd love the opportunity to build a stronger friendship with Compassion. My wife, Rachel, and I, we've been involved with Compassion from a distance through their child sponsorship program for a few years. And what I love most about Compassion is their desire to work with the local church here in Canada and in key regions where they have work all around the world. Today, they work with over 8,000 churches in over 25 different countries. And that's one reason amongst many why we're so excited to partner with them on this podcast. Just imagine this. This is kind of our dream. What if churches in Canada were able to support churches around the world in reaching the most vulnerable children and families? And we think Compassion is a trustworthy partner to see that happen. So I want to encourage you to connect with the work of Compassion and find out what it could look like for you and your church to partner with them for global impact. Find out more about what they're up to specifically in the midst of this pandemic and what it might look like to join Compassion in their vision to eliminate poverty in Jesus' name. Head to ccln.ca slash compassion for more information. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.